How's working from home been going for you? Remarkably Remote from GoToMeeting will help you succeed in today's new normal. In just three minutes or less, we'll share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track. From managing your motivation, workload, and relationships, to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcasting platform or head to gotomeeting.com slash tips. These guys are barrels of fun. This is section 422. Welcome to the section 422 podcast. Derek Van Riper here with Will Salmon. On this episode, we're going to discuss a recent survey conducted by Will, which took the pulse of the Brewers fan base on a wide variety of topics, thanks to the many of you who listen to this show who probably filled out that survey will talk about some of the surprising results along the way and just talk about the general pulse of the fan base as uh, the 2020 season hopefully approaches. Uh, will, how's it going for you today? Doing real well, Derek. Thanks for uh, mentioning the survey. Did you get the chance to fill it out? I didn't want to skew my own results, so I, I opted not to. I started to fill it out on my phone, and I think it's, it was based on Google Forms or something. And after 20 or 25 questions or so, for some reason, it wouldn't let me scroll any further. So I couldn't scroll down to submit it. I couldn't quite finish it. And then I never came back around to actually vote on the item. So I'll, I'll talk about what I would have voted for had I got responses in. And it's probably better that I didn't weigh in. I mean, my takes are they're a little slanted in, in one direction for most of these topics so it's better to get the the feel of the general readership i think uh, in this one and it looks like over 700 people participated though so that's pretty awesome and uh, there were some interesting nuggets that you wrote about in the summary so we're going to sort of add some color to that and share more about our own opinions because you know when you're writing about a survey you're not gonna inject too much of your own opinion in the analysis so this is a good forum for you to do that will you can you can tell the people how they're wrong and how they're right and uh, you know all, all those types of things so we'll run through most of the questions on here we'll spend more time on the ones where the fan base was more divided and hopefully this will make everyone feel good about the the organization by the time we're done at least in in many many facets so the first question was what are your realistic expectations for the 2020 Brewers, there were five options, contend for the World Series, make the playoffs, contend for the playoffs, finish above 500, or finish 500 or worse. 56.7% uh, chose contend for the playoffs. That was the winner. 28.4% landed on make the playoffs, and the rest kind of split. A finish above 500, I think, was a little more than contend for the World Series, and then there was a tiny sliver of people in purple on the chart who uh, were at finish 500 or worse. I don't know who those people are. They were very angry, and I think their answers on other questions are easy to pick out, but is that right in line with your expectations, Will, that generally people expect this team to contend for the playoffs? Yeah, the, Brewer, the Brewers are going to be pretty good. That's what that result told me, at least people think, right? And I, and I agree with that. I feel like the Brewers are going to be pretty good. It just kind of depends on the other factors of the season. We don't know how long it will be if it's played. 
don't know exactly if it's going to be the same teams in the division, how often the travel will be, all these types of variables. No idea, right? So I think in any other season, it, it would probably have made the most sense to sort of break it down or make the choices available for win totals and win ranges. So 80 to 85 wins, 90 to 95 wins, that sort of thing. So this tells me that people view the Brewers, if it was a regular season, as probably close to like what, like an, like an 85, 90 win team? That sounds about right to you? Yeah, I think if you... If you asked everyone to predict the number, you know, the old thing we did in school as kids, how many jelly beans are in the jar, you know, forecast an exact number of wins for the Brewers. I think you'd get a number probably in the 85 to 86 range. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I agree with that. I think that that's probably reasonable. And that's what the question was. Realistic expectations, not not what you want to happen. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Which, yeah, I feel like for the most part, people took that and were pretty honest with it. So it's funny that you mentioned the idea of the people who voted for the 500 or worse, and then it being easy to kind of pick out what their other answers to questions were. They were actually like really consistent, which is no surprise, but it, but it is kind of funny. If you look at question by question, which, of course, I only had the access to do that, but when I did look and, and I checked, okay, this person answered 500 or worse. Is, is this person just messing around? No, that person was very upset. Uh, <laughs> across the board, that person is upset with the moves. That person is upset with uh, David Stearns. Doesn't quite want Craig Council out of town, but man, not exactly in line with the with the, the overwhelming amount of people who voted five for Craig Council, which I'm sure we'll get into. But yeah, that was kind of funny, uh, just how people voted and just stayed consistent, which I liked. Yeah, completely ridiculous. And we'll get to some of those questions in just a few minutes. The uh, semi-related question, will the Brewers win a World Series in the 2020s? Which is a pretty broad view. And we're talking about 10 seasons to win a championship. Options there were pretty simple. Yes or no. It was split nearly evenly. 51.6% of the responses said yes, the Brewers will win a World Series, which will be the franchise's first in this decade. If I had to put money on it, Will, I think I would bet no, just because of how mathematically difficult it is to win a World Series. But in the almost four decades now that I've been on this planet. This is probably the best Brewers combination of front office and talent and ownership by by miles. So historically speaking, I totally understand where the optimism comes from. I think it's absolutely possible, but if I had to put money on it, you would just bet against it because there are 30 teams and winning a World Series is hard. Smart, smart take there. I would have voted yes because... Kind of funny that you said also that just the numbers suggest how difficult it is to win a World Series, which is absolutely true. No debate there. But I'm also along the lines of it's got to happen one of these years, right? Like just you would think one of these years are going to win a World Series. And so when you combine that thought with the idea that this is the best combination of front office manager, they have a superstar in Christian Yelich. So... All that to me, if I had to vote, I, I, I go yes. I, I really do. I, I mean, it's probably, 
yeah, it could be definitely turned down by the numbers, like you're saying, and just how difficult it is to win a World Series. Why would, it's hard to choose any team um, in a really in a five year period, I guess, aside from maybe three or four big market teams that are going to outspend and acquire talent so rapidly every single year. So it's difficult with the Brewers to say yes to that. But hey, well, sure, why not? You know, I'm going to go yes with it just because of the combination. You have Yelich, and it's bound to happen one of these years. So I, I think the the next question was good because it it, it really gave us a, a better glimpse of the, the overall view of the team right now. How confident are you that the Brewers are heading in the right direction for the next five years? And that was a, a one-to-five scale. So... Two respondents out of uh, over 700 came up with uh, a one out of one to five, basically not confident at all. Uh, 20 people, 2.8% landed on two, 22.1% were at a three, 55.4% were at a four, and then 140 people, 19.5% were at a five. So five coming in a little lower than three, most people landing on a four. I think the results are accurate here. I mean, I think you can justify a five vote for all the reasons we just described. What about the way this team is run actually bothers you or gives you any pause? I mean, I think there's no known salary cap, but I think we kind of operate under the assumption that the Brewers have some sort of internal limit they're trying to stick to, even if Mark Atanasio is not publicly stating that, right? Like, that seems to be the way things are, are working behind the scenes, even though there's been reportedly no instance in which David Stearns has been told no as it pertains to spending. It's certainly a much narrower focus than just, hey, will the Brewers win a World Series in the 2020s? So I didn't really spend a whole lot of time analyzing that question in the written piece, that first one, on whether or not the Brewers will win a World Series in the 2020s, just because it's not exactly a, a, a flip of the coin there, but it's just something that's really hard to peg. And the confidence level for the next five years is also, it, it's it's futuristic, so it's going to be hard to peg too, but I don't know. I, I wouldn't have voted five. I would have probably gone four, and I would have thought about going three. And I say that because of the farm system. One, I don't know how... I, I just would like to see more talent there. And then you're asking about five years. So the way things are all positioned right now... Yeah, there, there's not a whole lot that would, should bother you, I feel like, if you're a Brewers fan. But how long is that going to last? And so what I'm trying to say is, like, how long is David Stearns going to be in that position for the Brewers? Is he going to be there three years three years from now? Maybe. I don't know. There's, there's, no, um, there's, no, there's, nothing that, there's nothing tangible that I'm attaching that thought to. There's nothing out there or anything like that, so don't be alarmed. But I'm just saying... People don't always stay in the same places for that long. And I don't know, it, it, without a, a great farm system right now, I, I don't know. Um, there, there is a lot to like, of course. It's also one of those questions, and there's going to be a few of these, where if we were to have asked this question before the Christian Yelich extension, we probably would get a different answer. And so I think that sort of dictates a lot of how people feel at the moment and especially with the future knowing that you have a guy like that locked up 
I think you would have seen the responses to three and four flip. I think most people would have checked in with a three, and that Yelich extension legitimately bought a, a full point for the most common answer for this survey because people were pretty upset about the offseason and the way that Yasmani Grandal and Mike Moustakis were replaced. But when the Yelich extension was announced, it was kind of like, oh, okay, the plan isn't to just make little runs at it until we have the end of Yelich's current contract. It's actually to continue with him as our franchise player. We've talked about the torch being passed, and I think that was a, a really big factor in how people responded to that particular question. I'm with you on the farm system. I think that's a legitimate concern, and uh, at, at some point in the near future, we'll talk about the, the draft. The draft's going to be a lot shorter this year. We're talking about a five-round MLB draft, which is very different, and there's a lot of uncertainty about the upcoming season. There's a lot of uncertainty about the next college season. A lot of questions that still need to be answered, but it could lead the Brewers into a position among other teams to get some players in the organization who they previously wouldn't have had a chance at if the draft were running at its normal length. But we'll dive into that at some other point. I think being concerned about the front office is a legitimate concern and how well Stearns and his front office can push back on the aging of this roster is going to go a long way in determining whether or not there's a small rebuild, a massive rebuild, or if there's actually just no rebuild at all. It's kind of pushing the right buttons in free agency and uh, making a few smaller moves that, that end up having a bigger impact than people expect at the time. Now, this next question is, is about owner Mark Atanasio. And I think it's become very clear to me that in the pool of Major League Baseball owners, it's difficult to find one more popular than Mark Atanasio is in Milwaukee. And the question here was, how committed to winning is Mark Atanasio? Most of the people who responded chose a four or a five on that one to five scale. Four had the most votes, 43.9%. Five had a 35.9%. Three came in with 15.6%, and one and two combined were under 5%. So, uh, yeah, the really, really angry people out there. There were seven people who voted one, which is just absurd. Because <laughs> if you've lived through more than Atanasio's tenure as the owner of this team, you saw an owner who was not at all committed to winning or trying or spending or doing anything that made the product on the field tangibly better. It was striking to me just to see, just to actually see those results. I had the feeling that it would be somewhat positive, but I felt like for in the context of baseball owners especially, like you're alluding to, this was overwhelmingly positive. This is probably as good as it gets, and that's kind of what I wrote. And it just made me think a little bit of, okay, why, why is this the case? And, and I kind of just thought to myself, well, all right, what, what makes for a good owner? And for me, that was the perception that you're probably going to spend as much money as, as you can. Whether or not that's reality or is a different <laughs> is a different um, is a different question. Visibility, I think, matters. Showing up to things, being present, holding yourself accountable to the media, that sort of thing. Being somewhat knowledgeable of the game helps, and you overall you have to show that you care. And I think that 
Mark Antanasio places a check. Varying levels of how big that check is, maybe, but he places a check on all four of those items for me. So when you look at it like that, yeah, there there are some things that you would gripe about, and I certainly received some of those in, in comments to the survey <laughs> attached to that answer. Um, and I think it's important to to voice those sort of like dissenting opinions on him. Um, I think we had somebody even last night say that he he's losing faith just because of the quote operating profits and losses that are driving decision making and the books aren't available for for you so it's it's hard yeah. to really pinpoint like what that even means it's it's it is really hard when when Atanasio says something like that because it's hard to interpret exactly what that means when you do not have the data for for it so that aside that's kind of i think where people push that number 1 or that number 2 or probably even that number 3 that would probably be the reason but that aside, I mean, it, it's hard to really gripe too hard about him just because he does place those checks, for me at least, on those boxes of what makes for a good owner in baseball. I think there's there's sort of a snap reaction that you can have when you hear an owner speak. And I'll use Jerry Reinsdorf as an example because people are, are watching The Last Dance, the documentary about the 90s Bulls. And Jerry Reinsdorf has all of the characteristics that set off little red flags in my mind. Like when he speaks, the way he talks about running a team and running a business, it just rubs me the wrong way. And Mark Atanasio doesn't do that when he speaks, which is good. That's very good. Now, I think it's difficult for people who accumulate as much wealth as Major League and NBA owners do to be relatable. But I would agree with you that Mark Atanasio comes off as a very relatable person who is generally a big fan of baseball. I think it's clear he does want to win. I'm sure he also wants to make money, but I think he does want to have a winning team. He doesn't want to pull a Bob Nutting in Pittsburgh and just use the Brewers as a personal ATM machine. I think he wants to put a competitive product on the field and bring a World Series to Milwaukee. I, I really believe that. I would have given him a four. I think to get a five, you're constantly pursuing anything and everything when it comes to upgrades, right? Money is no object. If you really, really want that title, you find the way to pay up for Moustakis. You find the way to pay up for Grandal or at least one of them, right? And it's not necessarily those two guys in particular, but I think it's their approach to free agency. It tends to be a little more second tier overall. And this is not a complaint. This is just an observation of how I think they run the team. That might be the right way to generally handle free agents. But I think if he was like all in, like, yeah, we got to win. Don't worry about the money. If we lose money for a few years because we overpaid Moose, no big deal. We're going to get the title. I don't think he's quite at that level. But I don't think you can expect much more from an owner than what you get from Mark Atanasio and how he handles this team. Yeah, being pragmatic isn't exactly the sexiest option for you. <laughs> you know, it's not, you know, it's not going to make headlines. Like, okay, we, we really deliber- <laughs> deliberated on this option here. And yeah, it's probably just not, not the right move for us because it's going to set us up. It's not going to set us up well for the next year or whatever the case is. I mean, yeah, completely agree. They're not, they're not outspending people. And whether or not that's the right move or the wrong move, 
that's going to win people over when that happens. And so the, the fraction that you lose as a result by not doing that, that probably shows up in the ones and the twos in this question for the survey. We'll move on to the manager. The next question was, how would you rate the job Craig Council has done? He destroyed this survey. 75.5% of the answers gave him a 5 out of 5 on the job that he has done as the Brewers manager. 21.7% gave him a 4. A combined less than 3% went 3 or lower. Only one person gave him a 1. And I'm wondering if that person didn't realize that the scale went from 1 to 5 where 1 was the lowest or if that person was somehow wronged by Craig Council years ago snubbed for an autograph I don't know what like I I don't know how you would give him less than a 3 on this and even I think even less than a 4 is kind of ridiculous when you when you consider how underwhelming some of the moves were at the time and the results they've been able to have the success of of handling the pitching staff late in seasons especially there are so many things to like about the way that council manages the roster i I think he's legitimately one of the best managers in baseball summed up really well not much to really add other than the fact that this was probably as, as high as those results were as favorable as they were for him this was one of the more predictable ones for me just because Anything less than a four is really hard to explain. I mean, like you said, you got to come up with reasons why, and they have to be probably personal uh, for for you, for you to justify giving him less than a four. Maybe you really love bunting, or you don't like the way he manages the pitching staff. I, I don't know, um, but yeah, it, it's hard to it's hard to not give the guy a five in the context of especially the Brewers' history. I wrote that by the end of his time, he's going to be hailed as the franchise's greatest manager. And that's quite the accomplishment for a team that's been been around for the Brewers now 50 years. And yeah, they haven't had the success year in, year out, of course, but it says something about that. And the longest tenured manager in the NL at this point, which tells you just how tenuous that job is. And also, he's managing in a different era of baseball that we're all aware of at this point where so much is dictated perhaps even beyond him of of the construction of the team and how things kind of are supposed to play out. Um, So it's it's in line with what I think he deserves. Yeah, I think that was a good result that was absolutely deserved. Let's talk about some transactions for a moment. There are a couple questions that are related. How would you grade David Stearns' work on the trade front? He got an A from 51.2% of the respondents, a B from 40.6%, so less than 10% gave him a C, a D, or an F. I don't think a single F appears in the pie chart, so if someone gave him an F on the trade front, (laughs) they must not know that he made the Christian Yelich deal happen, which would automatically give a GM, like, a C at a minimum, probably an automatic B. Uh, but the related question here, we'll kind of put these together. How would you rate the job the front office has done since the end of the 2019 season? That's where things are a little bit different. So it's like if you if you pull back and just look at everything Stearns has done, people are really happy. But if you hone in on just the last, let's say, seven months now, people are a little more split on that where you had 
38.4% come in with a 3 on that 1 to 5 scale, 40.2% came in at a 4, and 11.8% came in with a 5. So almost as many 5s uh, as 2s, 8.9% gave them a 2. Uh, and a 5 very angry. I, I, some people I must I have to assume were enjoying a, a beverage as they were filling out the survey, and perhaps uh, anger was, was bubbling up in the back. There was a, a handful of 1s on this question, but... Were you surprised to see the distribution here? Or is this sort of in line with some of the responses to pieces you've written uh, since jumping on the beat? Staying at home has forced people to lose their minds in some cases, perhaps, uh, with those with those ones and twos for some of these questions. But yeah, I mean, I think a series of these questions really led to the bigger question for me, which was, have the, did the Brewers surround Christian Yelich with enough talent? Because that's how you when when you sort of view the the job or you rate the job that the front office has done since the end of twenty nineteen since the end of the twenty nineteen season, you're looking at all those moves of acquiring guys like Luis Urias or signing Avisel Garcia, all those sort of moves that aren't the most glamorous, but they made a lot of baseball sense. So they're not exactly popular on like a general consensus of popularity. I don't know if too many people are excited about some of those moves, but everybody was excited about the Christian Yelich extension, of course. And so I think that it's sort of like a tale of both of those things where on one side of the offseason, you had all of those sort of smaller moves being made. And then you have that one big one, the Christian Yelich extension. And so for me, all of it sort of goes down to, did they put enough talent around Yelich? And people voted for the most part, no. Only about 25% or so of folks said yes. Most people said no. And then there was a percentage of people who said no, but, and they added some sort of caveat or some context with I either trust David Stearns and the and his ability to find some diamonds in the rough or maximize talent or whatever the case is. And a lot of people were just like, hey, that's just not a yes or no question because we just don't know exactly what the plan is beyond this one season. So in, in the context of this one season, maybe not, but maybe they're setting something up bigger for 2021. I don't know. So... I think a lot of these questions built up to that bigger one. And so all of them sort of made sense. They were all like really in line, which I liked. So like you had a lot of people for that first one with rating the job of the front office. You had the most part fours at 40% on a one to five scale. Second was threes with a 38%. I'm with you. Anything less than sort of a B for David Stearns' work on the trade front was hard to justify um but then you kind of go into like the moves for just this particular off season <laughs> the the question that sort of made me laugh was well the responses to the question that sort of made me laugh a little bit was just which of these additions were you most excited for and i think to the to the overall point a lot of people said it was hard to pick one because there isn't just that one guy that moved the needle for me and so what I'm getting at is that it's it's hard for people to really 
believe wholeheartedly that they have enough talent around Yelich or that they acquired enough. People wanted more is the overall point. And I think that more they wanted, honestly, was the retention of Grandal and or Moustakis. I think Moustakis in particular was a very popular player with the fan base, especially for someone who was only here for a year and two months. I mean, this is a guy that you heard the moose chants constantly at Miller Park, and I, I understand he's a good player. He's a fun player to root for. I think simply retaining him would have shifted how people responded to the rate the job the front office has done. Ultimately, the types of players the Brewers have pursued are not the types of players that you know a ton about going into this offseason. They're, they're guys who, I think, to Brewers fans were relative unknowns. I think if you follow the entire league, if you play fantasy baseball, you might have some ways of having a better grasp of who these players are. Uh, Luis Urias did come in first with 37.3% of the vote. And, Will, we haven't seen Urias play in a game yet because he was hurt during spring training. He was set to debut just as things were, were shutting down. I could see him being an impact guy right away in 2020, and he could be one of those players that just a year or two from now we'd look back and say, wow, remember that trade that the Brewers used to to get Urias? Now they have one of their franchise cornerstones on the infield, and it was because they gave up Trent Grisham and Zach Davies to get him. The vote, the vote for Luis Urias sort of really made my day. It really made this worthwhile for me just because I thought it was kind of interesting to see that and it really hits your point really just covers your point thoroughly so well because what you're saying is people didn't exactly recognize these names and and rightfully so i feel like garcia is a great player and it's a shrewd addition for for the brewers but he was largely and he has largely been a platoon player a guy who Hasn't played every single day. He's not a guy who posts big numbers. He's capable of it. And I think right now, Craig Council has made the point a couple of times that he's probably entering his best stages of his career. And that's when you want to acquire the guy. So it makes sense. And for me, I would have voted for him because of that reason. But you're absolutely right. These guys aren't exactly the most recognizable names in Major League Baseball here, right? And I, and you add, you would add Urias to that list of guys who really aren't the most recognizable names. But what I liked about it is it really just sort of underlines just a sophistication of the fan base, I feel like, where they realized that it was a, a pretty good baseball trade that was made with the Padres. Whether or not people paid attention to what he was able to do at the end of 2019 and putting up some big power numbers in the minor leagues who knows I, I don't i don't know if people really knew that or took that into consideration while voting for him but i think what people saw was a, a, a player with a bright future and that's what people were most excited about and so it's just funny to me that of all the guys on that list he's probably the one that probably doesn't live up to his potential in 2020 just because his potential is so much greater. The other thing that's really interesting, though, if you look at prospect rankings, so you could look at a place like Baseball America, and, and Baseball Reference actually lists former prospect rankings on player pages. Luis Urias in 2018 was actually a more highly regarded prospect than Keston Hira. Going into 2019, Hira had passed him, at least on the Baseball America list. They were very comparable on the MLB Pipeline lists. 
And uh, even uh, in 2019, Baseball Prospectus had Luis Urias as a top 20 prospect. He was number 17 on their list. Hero was sixth for what it's worth. But what it's worth. But if you look at that and say, "Hey, wait a minute, we might have two guys up the middle now who are elite hitters." That's really exciting. Most teams don't have that, especially for guys who are going to be around for several years. So uh, I was happy to see where Urias fell in that particular question because I would agree with you. It's a sign that people were very open to the idea that that will be a very good trade both in the short term and in the long term. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There are no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription, and for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code ATHLETIC for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code ATHLETIC. All right, Will, rolling through our survey here and um, a couple other interesting things here. You touched on this a little bit. Had the Brewers surrounded Christian Yelich with enough talent? 60.6% said no, and there are a lot of other variables that could were answers. I mean, yes, not yet, almost, maybe, not sure yet. Hard to say this year. There's a whole bunch of ways you could go, but uh, I, I think that is that is the main question on the minds of most people looking at this team, and I think a lot of people are concerned about the pitching staff in the short term. I think that's where most of the the doubt really comes from at this point. No question. One quick point about Urias, just before we go into the pitching staff and a lot of the questions that are related to the pitching staff, Urias is also one of those trades where the Brewers have really done their homework on guys or have believed in guys who maybe the other franchise, the other club has sort of just gotten a little bit tired of. Hard to put it that way, but like, you know what I'm saying? Where like guys just sort of lose their way within a, within another team or organization where they've been this big prospect for a while didn't quite work out and so like the leash just gets a little bit shorter and shorter but then overall the big picture is clouded because of the immediate results weren't there but underneath all that you have a really good player who just needs a little bit more time and so that change of scenery often helps and so that's just another reason why you would should like the Urias trade. As far as like what happens next, I think that's kind of like the next question in line that I had set up in the survey, which made sense because if you're saying like, okay, no, the Brewers didn't surround Yelich with enough talent, or yeah, maybe they did, or whatever the other additional responses included, the question then becomes, okay, well, what should they do next then? And for a lot of people, again, uh, underlines just how people know their team. A lot of people said, look, 
it's a little bit unrealistic to say go out there acquire an elite pitcher or do something drastic like that a lot of people were just like hey that's just not going to happen but you did have 51 percent of people say an addition of a starting an elite starting pitcher should be the next thing in line how they get that person who knows um so that was a big part of it which tells you all you need to know about how people feel about the starting pitching on the Brewers. The other popular answer within that question was having something to do with the farm system, whether it was restocking it with more talent or just not trading away certain players or holding on to guys. That combination really dominated the vote in addition to upgrading at the corner infield positions. But the desire to improve the pitching staff or people's opinions sort of being down on the pitching staff was really found throughout the survey. And and some and part of me was just like I'm not as down on the staff as as fans are. And I get it. I'm not the one who has lived through brewer seasons of failed pitching staffs, whether it's horrible signings that don't work out like Jeff Supon or the long list of failed prospects who just didn't work out. So I get it. I'm not, I didn't live through that. So maybe I'm looking at it through a different lens here, but I look at the staff and I just don't have as many gripes. I understand the questions that you can apply to every single member of the starting rotation, very familiar with them. And that's certainly valid, but as a whole, I feel like they have more depth than they had last year. They had better options. I don't know. I just feel like people are just so used to them not having a good pitching staff that that's going to sway voting in questions like these. Well, and I think you have to look at some of the things they've done in recent years with names that are not household names. And similar to the how you approach grading David Stearns as a GM, sort of give him the benefit of the doubt up front and see how it plays out before being concerned or being critical. And I, I think I've made this comp on the show before. I think Josh Lindblom could come in and basically replicate what Chase Anderson did, and that would be a success relative to what he cost and what the team needs. And he might be better than that. Like that's There's definitely a chance that he exceeds the level of Chase Anderson. So I, I think when you start breaking it down that way, you can sort of put the pieces together and say that they're probably not really any worse off than they were. And then there's questions like the one you have a few further down, which pitcher will have the better career? Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta were the two options. That was almost split. Burns got 54% of the votes. Peralta got 46%. And we just we don't know what we're going to see from those guys in 2020. That is a huge question that needs to play out. And I'm not even sure internally that the Brewers know what they're going to get from both of them. I mean, I, I think with Peralta, you have to wonder if the extension they gave him is a, a sign that they're slightly more confident in him breaking out and they wanted to keep the cost down as much as they possibly could and buy out some free agent years. I mean, that's basically what they did, right? So where do you fall on that one between Burns and Peralta? Who do you think has the the better career? And even the second question there is, who do you think makes more of an impact on the 2020 Brewers? 
yeah, I would love to poll the organization and see where they stand as far as which which one of these pitchers are going to have the better career or even the better season in 2020. Because I think that they're probably, I'm just guessing here, I have no idea. I have not conducted such a survey, of course. But I, I would probably say that there are differing opinions on that. Because if there if there wasn't, then one of those guys would have been clearly included in the rotation versus the other. And for a while, Peralta in spring training had that edge, but then Burns pitched so well. And then, of course, Eric Lauer suffered an injury, a minor injury, I should add. But Burns pitched so well that he added himself back into that mix firmly. And so you were then stuck at, okay, we like both of these guys. (laughs) And I don't know if... um, the extension to Peralta was a sign one way or the other that he's viewed as somebody closer to breaking out or not. But I will say that Peralta has more versatility, I think. And you're kind of extending him thinking to yourself, we don't know exactly what his role is going to be, but we feel confident that regardless, he's going to help us. And he could do a bunch of, he could do a few different things. And so what, which of those things he'll end up doing in 2020 or 2021, it doesn't matter because he's going to be pretty good at whichever one it is. So I could believe that. It would, it would have been hard for me to choose between the two because they're just so similar. I mean, they've, sh- they've both shown glimpses and flashes of, okay, this is the kind of stuff that sort of makes you drool over. I mean, these guys are fanning guys, filthy sliders, all that stuff. But they've yet to put it all together. Either one, either one of them has yet to piece it all together. Again, we saw signs that maybe they're getting there. With Freddie Peralta, it was understanding sequence, working with people in the front office on that, knowing how to utilize a newfound slider that he added to his repertoire, no longer just being a guy solely dependent on that fastball, adding his other pitches and knowing when to do it. It's kind of similar to what Corbin Burns went through as well heading into spring training and where he left off with knowing he has a great slider, so it wasn't new, but just understanding how good that pitch was and having a better understanding of how to pitch around that one or how how that one pitch can make his other pitches better in essence. And also just mentally having a better approach and just being more confident in what you're doing and your preparation. So the reasons why they were inconsistent or had been inconsistent throughout their career are different or are, are somewhat different, but they, they both make you excited. That's undeniable. If I had to choose one, I'm sidestepping here, but if I had to choose one, I'd probably go with Peralta just because He's shown more at the major league level, and he's probably more versatile right now. The higher floor, at least in terms of the mm-hmm. the output yeah. so far. I think Burns' 2019 was just such a disaster for him that it's it's really difficult to look at an 882 ERA and a 184 whip and a home run rate that was over three homers per nine and to say, yeah, that's the guy. He's going to be better. Uh, I think if I were going to make the devil's advocate sort of argument for Burns, it would be he throws harder than Peralta. And I think of all the pitches those two guys throw, 
Burns' slider is the best pitch that either of those two guys can throw. So the, the raw tools for Burns might be better, but Peralta being more polished at this point is uh, a reason to be a little concerned that you know, Burns may have some some struggles here again in 2020. Uh, I'll take the burn side for those reasons. I'll take the extra velo. I'll take the the better out pitch, but I think it's really close. I think it was one of my favorite questions that that appeared uh, on the survey. The other pitching-related questions I think we should touch on on this episode, how do you feel with Brandon Woodruff as the ace of the staff? This was, again, the 1-5 to five scale. Uh, a handful of people, 12, came in with a 1, 1.7%. Most people feel good about it, 51.3%. Answered with a four, twenty eight point nine percent came in with a three, ten point eight percent came in high at a five, and then seven point four percent came in at a two. I think this is in line with probably what I would have expected with this question. Will I, I believe in what Woodruff was doing last year? I think if it weren't for the injury, I think he would have probably convinced more people outside of Wisconsin that he's a legitimate ace at this point. Certainly, and he has that likability factor to him as well, where people really like him. And so uh, I think that sort of adds to his benefit, too, in this sort of question. But the stats, I feel like, are there. It's just a matter of him not being able to prove it for, say, like 32 starts or back-to-back seasons. He doesn't have the track record, is what I'm saying, So yet. A long track record, at least, where you could give him a five and not think twice about it, which was why the question was suitable for this survey. But if the statistics are there. The statistics say that this is a guy that's figured it out. He took a big jump last year with uh, adding that two-seam fastball or utilizing it a lot more and just understanding pitching and sequence made huge strides there and it showed up. So the strikeout to walk, it all pans out. I mean, it all works out. It's all highly favorable. So I feel like ace of the staff, yeah, he's he's not one of the top five pitchers in baseball. So there's that. But he's in a couple of those tiers afterward, I feel like, where he's, what, you you would know this better than me, but top 25, is that a stretch? No, that's not a stretch. I mean, and this is sort so, of a launching point, like fantasy rankings wise. Yeah, he's like a top 20, top 25 starter. I mean, he misses bats. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. He doesn't have a home run problem. He he does everything you're looking for in a number one starter. I almost think the, the Woodruff question, the broader Woodruff question is, is there actually an ace on every team or is it just the guy who starts on opening day? And And I think most people would say, well, it's not just the guy who starts on opening day because the Brewers have had some dreadful opening day starters over the years. Um, you know, Raphael Roquet started on opening day several years ago. I remember that one. That was that was rough. Um, and, and by no stretch of any imagination is he an ace. I think it's it's stuff, right? It's what is your arsenal like? Can you be the kind of guy who takes over a game more than once in a while? I, I think Woodruff absolutely can do that. We saw that for good stretches last year. Uh, and, you, and you're right. It, it comes down to the lack of a long track record. I mean, it's easy to forget that Woodruff only had 42 and a third innings in Milwaukee in 2018. Spent more time at AAA than he did in the big leagues. And what he did with the Brewers was really good in 2018. But 
Uh, we haven't had year-over-year success for him as a starter at the big league level yet, so I can understand where some of those uh, reservations come in, but I'm not really sure what he's missing that most aces actually have at this point. Uh, kind of a related question you popped in on this one. Who will get the next multi-year extension? We talked about Freddie Peralta uh, getting one. Obviously, Christian Yelich got the big extension this winter as well. Uh, Woodruff was the runner-up. Keston Hira came in first on this one, getting 44.9% of the vote. If you had to project that, Will, is that the direction you'd go? Hira being the most likely to get the next extension? I think that that's, where, that's who people wanted to get the next extension um but as far as who will get the next one i don't i i I like one of the pitchers too uh and again this is just guessing but just so no reporting here this is just a speculation to be clear but if it's if it's me i'm guessing a pitcher just because you have those guys like a burns lauer woodruff they're they're controlled through 2024 and i feel like the price tag on woodruff is only going to get higher so I don't know. I, I would strike there if I was in the front office and if I was trying to lock somebody up for an extension. And other guys I feel like should have gotten more votes. Somebody like Omar Narvaez probably could have gotten more votes. Maybe that's wishful thinking. but And a lot of that hinges on how good he is defensively and managing the staff and whatnot. But he's a young, he's a pretty talented guy offensively like we've talked about a lot. So the fact that he didn't get many votes was a little bit surprising. But if it's me, I probably look at the pitchers first, and then and then Keston Hira. Although if it's if I'm a Brewers fan and if it's who I want, then it's 100 percent Keston Hira. Yeah, I think this this is almost if you split it into two sorts of questions, like who do you want to see as a Brewer for the longest? Keston Hira probably is the runaway answer who is most likely to actually receive an extension from the team, I think Josh Hader's probably very likely. And it's kind of interesting, too, because Craig Council publicly came out and, and said that you know Hader was handled unfairly by the arbitration system, having lost his case this winter. And you look at him as a guy who is already you know, a few years in with service time, so he's a little closer to free agency than, than a guy like here. I think he's one year closer. And you look at the way that major league teams generally handle elite relievers who are under club control. Those players are fairly often on the receiving end of an extension because if they are getting saves usually saves do get rewarded in the arbitration process, unless that's changing sometime soon, sort of securing cost year over year for a guy who's been very important to the bullpen seems pretty logical. And relative to extending you know, a player like Keston Hero, which could be potentially a nine-figure deal at some point, extending Hater is probably more of like a four-year, $45 million deal or something that's a lot more reasonable and a lot more in line with the types of contracts the team generally signs yeah for me it's it's hard for me to want to even give an extension sometimes to just a a closer or a reliever just because of how fickle the those seasons can kind of be and like how long is hater going to be dominant for or you know i mean like if i don't know um what's it what maybe he he has one of those special careers and and 
perhaps just because of the numbers that he's posted, they they indicated that's definitely plausible where he has that special career where he's dominant for 10, 15 seasons. And he's one of those rare guys that are like that. Uh, we've seen enough of, of him to know that he is that sort of outlier of a, of a player at this point um, where you could make that argument for. But I, I'm a little hesitant just because of that, how fickle like relievers can be where one stretch they're outstanding and then all of a sudden it all goes away (laughs) and so for me to lock up a guy it's a hard it's a harder sell for me yeah no i I understand where you're coming from for sure i mean this is uh it's hard to do it as a reliever but he's been worth more than two full wins above replacement each of the last two seasons for his big league career now josh Hader has thrown 204 and two-thirds innings. He's got a 242 ERA, a .85 whip, 349 strikeouts. Absurd numbers, really, video game numbers at this point. So a little surprised he didn't come in higher, uh, even with some of the concerns that you mentioned. Let's take a look at a few future questions before we wrap things up. The question about the prospects I thought was really interesting. You put a question in there that was... Which of these prospects will have the best career? And there were quite a few options. Bryce Terang, Ethan Small, Mario Feliciano, Drew Rasmussen, Tristan Lutz, Aaron Ashby, Antoine Kelly. Bryce Terang comes up with 36% of the vote. Ethan Small at 25%. Rasmussen at 14.3%. Feliciano at 9.3%. Everybody else a bit lower than that. What did you think about that that spread of, of responses? Was that in line with your expectations? Mm, I kind of expected that, but I just haven't seen enough of Bryce Terang to say that he's going to have the best career out of that bunch. But at the same time, nobody really jumped out. Nobody jumps out for me on that list either. So I was really interested to learn who people would choose. And so the fact that they chose Bryce Terang, I don't know if that's just because people... And 36%, that's not exactly a a landslide there. But I don't know if he won that vote just because people are most familiar with his name or people are just really that familiar with his skills and what he's capable of. You could look him up and you could see where he is on prospect lists, lists and whatnot and understand where he was drafted and all that stuff. But... I haven't really seen him at that at a high level yet, so it's hard for me to to say, and it's hard for me to say for a lot of these guys because even uh, Ethan Small, who coincidentally I, I covered in, during his college years at Mississippi State, I like him a lot. There's a lot to like about him, but he hasn't pitched at the high levels yet, so it's it's hard to say. So you're kind of just I don't want to say you're guessing here, but if it was me, I almost I'm almost inclined to go with Drew Rasmussen just because of He's an older guy, um, was robbed for some of his time was robbed because of injury. And so another college pitcher has that maturity to him as far as development goes. And he turned some heads during spring training. And for me, whenever you could do that, that gives me an inclination that he's going to be up sooner rather than later. And so I think that if this was a 162-game season, down the road at some point, Erasmussen, he would have been on the club. I I can't tell you what a shortened season sort of means for him at this point. Who knows? Because of the roster size. But if things were 
how they normally were. I would have expected him to be on the big league roster at some point because he showed that he was getting ready to be there. Uh, he probably had another step in between, but for me, he, there's a lot to like. He has a, he has a good fastball, velocities there, secondary pitch is okay too. So I don't know. I, I would probably go with Rasmussen. I think I would go with G, none of the above, <laughs> or H in this case for uh, Hedbert Perez. I, I think it, it kind of goes into what you were saying though with well, both small and and Bryce Terang. I mean, Terang reached high A last season and handled low A capably, but was making some adjustments at high A. I mean, we'll see how he fills out. If he adds a little more power over time, that wouldn't be surprising. I don't know if he's ever going to be a, a big source of power, but if he can just be the kind of guy that's not getting the bat knocked out of his hands by premium velocity as he moves up, that goes a very long way as well. Ethan Small wasn't tested at low A. That was, that was pretty clear. He was just dominant in the Midwest League for that stretch late in the season. But Perez was a July 2nd international signing, and I think the fact that I would, without ever seeing him play, bet on him to have the best career of all the prospects is that harsh reminder that this system, because of trades and because of graduations, is, to many people, the worst minor league system in the big leagues. And... I've said this before about other organizations. Part of the cost of success is that you will not have a good farm system more often than not. Like To be successful and to remain successful, you will graduate long-term pieces who were highly regarded and you will trade some away. And the balance of trading the right players away and keeping the right minor league players and having those guys become your core guys is essentially what a front office has to do, right? 100%. And just to go along with that point, how how old is that guy that that you're choosing as your G selection over there? Isn't he like 17, 18 years old? I'm pretty sure he's still 17 years old. Yeah, which if that doesn't tell you exactly, if that doesn't summarize your point to a T, there's there's nothing else that does that as accurately. Right. And it's it's just a complete unknown, really. Uh, We're talking about a guy who is probably not going to play in the Midwest League until 2021 at the earliest. And who knows? I mean, development right now is is a great unknown in every organization, given the conditions of the pandemic and not knowing how minor league seasons are going to look beyond this season even. A lot of, a lot of questions about how players are going to be brought along. Uh, was there anything else in this survey that really kind of stood out to you? I mean, you had some questions in here about uh, whether or not the Brewers should retire bronze number eight. We talked about that, I think, after the Hall of Fame case episode that we made for him a few weeks back. It, Jim Gantner was also on there. Interesting to see that two-thirds of the people who responded thinks think the Brewers should retire bronze number eight, but only... 41% think that the Brewers should retire Jim Gantner's number 17. I would have loved to have seen the demographics for these votes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because if you, if you watched 80s ball or if that 82 season means so much, it means a lot to all Brewers fans. But if you lived through it and if you experienced it, I think that you probably voted yes there. 
If not, then it's easier to dismiss Gantner as somebody who never made an all-star team, who compiled the stats you can make the argument for because of longevity. Um, but that's not necessarily always a bad thing. <laughs> People forget that. that you, it, it says something to be around year in, year out, and to have a job and to start and to be somebody in the lineup every single day. Um, you have to be pretty good for that. So there's that part of it. I didn't, all that to say, I didn't really, I wasn't really all too surprised with both of those. I thought the Gatner one would have been a little bit closer. It became 60-40, really, and I thought it would have been closer to 50-50, but 60-40 is still pretty close. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't really all that surprised. Further down the list, again, I wasn't really surprised about really much of the logos or anything like that, but I, I, I ended the survey story with just the question of just how, how would you describe the state of the Brewers? And the answers to this went along with the theme that we saw throughout all the other questions, whether it was winning the World Series in the 2020s or the five-year plan or window, the faith in ownership, etc. And the results, again, were in line with all that. A lot of people, more than 50% of the vote was cautiously optimistic. The rest, 33% voted for them as a contender. Only 8% said needed to do more. So I, I don't know. I just feel like that one person put it great. One person in particular said that, you know, hey, it's tough to be a Brewers fan. There, there are reasons for that. But it's pretty evident that they're, that they're trying and they have a plan that they're sticking to. And people believe in it. And so there's optimism there. Cautious, yes. But it's realistic, too. And... It's accurate where people are pegging this team as far as the fans go. Yeah, I think the general takeaway I had from this survey is that most people are pretty optimistic and pretty happy. And even though there's some scarring from the 93 to 2002 window, like that 10-year stretch of futility, which there was finally some glimmers of hope, of course, at the end of that is the... Fielder Weeks Hardy group was coming through. That was one of those things where it's like, okay, here we are. We finally have reached the point where things are actually different. So there's there's that little bit of hesitation, but it's it's not paranoia that things are all going to fall apart anymore. And it's kind of a relief that we've gotten past that. Because I think for a little while there was this, it's going to fall apart. It has to fall apart. It can't be this good. The Brewers can't be perennially making runs for the playoffs and it might not be every year for the decade but I think you have to come away looking at this team feeling more good than bad about everything for a lot of the things we talked about over the course of this episode you can find Will on Twitter at Will Sam and you can find me at Derek Van Riper if you'd like a subscription to The Athletic you can go to theathletic.com slash 422 to get 40% off if you've got questions that you want us to get to on a future episode you can send those our way via Twitter. And if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, we would greatly appreciate it if you took the time to do that. For Will Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. We're back with you next week from Section 422.